while I was hanging out with my um, friend uh, uh, and brother, Blaine Foreman, uh, about a year ago, I remember that, and we decided to go on a nice sushi lunch near his work. And my mouth was really watering because I was thinking about sushi. I was thinking about sushi nigiri, you know, the yellowtail and the fatty tuna and the unagi and the salmon. And I'm looking over the menu trying to figure out what I can get. And, and so Blaine looks over the menu and he, you know what he said? He's like, yeah, I love sushi too. I'm going to order the California rolls. And I'm like, oh, man. I was struggling, man, for a moment. I was like, okay, do I agree with Blaine wholeheartedly and say that California rolls are the best sushi ever? That's the thing that I look forward to when I go to a nice sushi restaurant. You know, or do I just tell it to him? <laughs> I, just, I just straight out, like, educate this brother in the difference between real versus not quite so real sushi. Um, and a caveat, I started off with California rolls, but I definitely worked myself up, up and up. And so, you know, that's where my uh, judgmentalism uh, got the best of me. And I, I got to okay it from Blaine to share this. But um, <laughs> I think I said something to the effect of California rolls are not real sushi, man. And, uh, yeah, I don't think you felt loved after that time. In fact, I think you felt judged. <laughs> and so the running joke is now every time we had sushi, just like we had recently, that he's like, man, yeah, don't judge me if I, if I order California rolls, man. So, um, and to his credit, he's been open to experimenting new types of real fish, uh, <laughs> different types of sushi. And so, you know, you know I think a lot of us, I can't think of any of us who doesn't struggle with, the, with judging others. Um, you may go out to the store and somebody, someone just rudely cuts you off and they're just, and you're judging them for what a terrible person they are. You see somebody of the, of the opposing sports team um, and, or you see somebody with a different political persuasion and you judge them and you make, um, make them look like into somebody that they may not be. And you may run into people and they say, well, you don't have any right to judge me. And because they, they cite this verse, um, which we just read in the passage, unknowingly uh, here. And he says, you know, Jesus, didn't Jesus say, judge not, and judge not so that you not be judged. And they sit back and they, they're content and thinking that nobody has the right to judge me. Because even Jesus said so. I'm good, right? But I felt that this passage has been taken out of context so many times. And so um, it's worth a real serious look about what this passage means. Does this mean that Jesus just bans us from judging every, anyone? And what does, what does Jesus say serves as a counterbalance to seeing Jesus' command here? Well, let's go ahead and take a look at chapter 7, uh, verse 1 in the Gospel of Matthew, first book in the New Testament, um, right before Mark and right after Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And we're in, we're in Matthew chapter 7. And uh, Matthew chapter 7 is basically speaking about Jesus' life and his teachings. And here, Matthew's point in his whole book, was basically to show that Jesus is king. And so in Jesus' opening command, it seems to shut down any type of judging. He says, judge not that you be not judged. So is Jesus making a blanket statement here? Well, the word for judge means to condemn or to discern. Now, 
contrary to what we have believed, that this does not prohibit judging of any kind. This would make Jesus seemingly go against his own words, which he called out religious leaders uh, before um, in, this, in the passage right before this, who are praying to get public recognition and standing and louding and celebration just because they were the ones standing out in the street corners being seen by everybody. And so Jesus uh, later on, he actually, in chapter 7, verse 16, we even see Jesus calling out people and saying, beware of the false prophets. And so, all throughout Jesus' sermons, we see Jesus calling out people. Even, even in verse 6, he calls people dogs and pigs, which we'll get to in a moment. Well, let's hold on here one second. John seven twenty four. Jesus himself, in, this, in that passage, is being called out as being demon-possessed and criticized for healing a man on the Sabbath going against some of, um, uh, some of the, the traditions. And so in Jesus' response, he calls them to not judge by appearance, but to judge by right judgments. So Jesus is not saying that we are completely barred from judging. He merely says, save your judging. Save your judging. Save it for whom? Save it for the righteous judge. When we judge others wrongly, especially by superficial appearances, or to make ourselves uh, more important than we ought to be, then we have taken the place of God, and therefore, we are answerable to him. Jesus is giving a a directive to the prideful here. For the sake of keeping up their man-made traditions, religious leaders were judgmental with a critical spirit. They harshly judged people when when, when it didn't fit their own perceptions of what they thought was, uh, was supposed to be done, and they passed judgments on people's motives without being able to see into what we can't see, which is the heart. But ultimately, if we judge people's motives without really investigating or finding out what they're trying to feel or what they're saying, then we have not saved our judging. We have, in a sense, pushed aside the righteous judge who alone has the right to judge our hearts. And so all of us, I mean, tend to... Uh, tend to easily be the judge, especially when we're reading into things, whether we're reading the news or uh, we're driving out in the streets or um, on the, in the internet, and we're assigning motives. It's so easy for us to assign motives that may not be there. We interpret things through their actions, and then we go to immediately to a, a, a rash judgment call on that person's character or on who that person is. And so Jesus says that before we pass judgment, we have to make sure that we are willing to pass that same judgment on ourselves. It turns the tables on us. We cannot plead ignorance to the law. Would we be willing to come under what judgment had just come out of our mouths? According to some rabbis, God has called two measures, mercy and justice. And Jesus is saying this to, to, and having us to say to us. You better inspect yourself. You better inspect your measuring cup. And you got to make sure that your measuring cup has a really healthy dose of mercy and justice. Are you generous in your measured judgments to people? And Jesus' heart behind this command is not that we can't judge, but to save our judging until we have judged ourselves. Make sure that we haven't tried playing God, or make sure that we haven't jumped in and just 
and read into people's motives. And for sure, to make sure that we're not judging people based on our own personal preferences. You're not to be blind to people's sin, but rather Jesus is saying, be generous when people, even if people do sin, be generous in grace. Remind yourself the greatest temptation that you fall into is, is you being a judge and usurping the role that is only reserved for God. James 4, 11 through 12 also speaks of this. If you would turn there, it's a little later in the New Testament, but James writes this. Behold, we consider those Blessed who remain steadfast, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so here he's pointing to uh, the character, the very character um, of God, in saying that he is a compassionate and a merciful God. And so what we see here also is seen also in the examples going back to Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. Why do you not see the speck that is in your brother's eyes, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. Jesus gives this famous illustration of uh, somebody trying to take out a little speck. In fact, you know, just, it was like a speck of sawdust. Um, we had a roof. We had our roof replaced yesterday, and uh, we definitely didn't have just specks of sawdust. We had just like big pieces of splinters and big pieces of wood everywhere. But here, it's talking about the smallest speck of sawdust that you couldn't even see unless you were looking for it. And he's saying this that he's giving this imagery of like a surgeon who is trying to commit um, or, or trying to operate on somebody's cornea with a two-by-four stuck in his eye. Now, it's obviously hyperbole, right? That's the word speck. But Jesus is saying that whenever we are unjustly harsh on something that might be large or small, it's like taking out a splinter while smacking them back and forth with a two-by-four and smacking them on the mouth several times just to try to get this little speck of sawdust out and saying, yeah, look, I got a sawdust while they're laying on the ground unconscious. That's what it's Jesus is saying here. But Jesus is not saying that we can't do that. He's saying, look at the order. First, you've got to need to look at yourselves first, which is removing the log of our own eye. And then we can help his brother remove his speck. We see this even with Jesus' word choice. He is so intentional with his words. Look at with me. He says in verse 3, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eyes but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. That's a different word, notice, which means a continuing, a, a serious, a prolonged meditation on your own heart. In other words, Jesus is saying, how can you ever dream of confronting other people about their sins when you haven't even noticed and taken that account for your own? Jesus doesn't say we can't take the speck out of our brother's eyes. He says we can, but not with a prideful attitude. And this came to head many times in my life, but about a few years ago, I had gone a, 
uh, on a vision trip to Panama, and uh, we were working with some small Chinese churches. Um, we were Chinese, and most of our team was Chinese, and we were, we were working with some of the smaller uh, churches there in Panama City, and some of those churches were dealing with some crazy internal conflict over small, it seems like small things. And so my knowledge of the dialect was super limited, but, you know, I would get bits of things translated here and there. And so I remember this first dinner, literally maybe the first night that I would come into uh, Panama, and I sat down with them with other church leaders, and as they were kind of going back and forth, explaining their internal conflict with some of our church leaders, I mean, it went on and on and on. Like, I'm like, at first I was like, oh, this is great, we get some free food, and then after three hours, we were still there. And I was so tired, and I could feel as I just began to wait, and I didn't see any end in sight, my anger just boiling up. And, and I'm just kind of like, man, why don't they get it? Why can't they just see that they're sinful? Why can't they just reconcile? Why, why can't they just, just, just make amends? And, you know, I was just thinking that I could just say something that would be the silver bullet, something that would just speak into their hearts, convict them, smack them up with a two-by-four, and we can go home. And good thing I didn't, because <laughs> otherwise I think I would have totally undone whatever progress they were getting through. The story was so much more complex and complicated. In fact, it didn't get it figured out in the two weeks that we were there. But it was just one of those things where I came in with so much pride in my own heart that I was thinking that my one little monologue in English, nonetheless, could save them. And I think for me, I had realized that I had a lot of hypocrisy in my own heart. I was the hypocrite that Jesus was talking about here in verse 5, where it talks about that I needed to take the log of superiority and pridefulness out of my own eyes so that I could even get to a place to be able even to, to notice and to be gentle and be able to take a speck out of their eyes. Not to mention have a, a God moment in which, you know, I'll be able to speak 100% fluent Chinese. That would be a miracle. You see, so often we think we got things figured out, that we're, we're so in tune with the Spirit that we have the right answers that we can play judge, that we know everything, every nuance of every uh, level of thinking in the other person's heart. Well, we are wrong. Instead, our heart should default to self-inspection. Have we humbled ourselves before an almighty God? And said, I'm a brother to this brother or sister. I am before a holy God and I need your help, God. Are we coming at this with a meekness and a humility of spirit? The Bible does allow us to do that, but only after we've done heart surgery on our own hearts. Now, the Bible does give clear directives on what we can judge. We can judge who is inside or outside the church based on their actions. And here at Hope, I know that we work and, and we love on people and we continue to work together uh, for that because we really want to walk toward each other's holiness but in a spirit of just a loving covenant relationship as people here ha are walking together in covenant relationship, meaning that we are tied together to walk hand in hand, hell or high water. And we have that authority for church discipline in regards to unrepentant sin. We get that from Matthew 18, chapter, uh, chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. 
We have the authority to be able to speak into and restore those who are tempted by sin. Galatians 6.1 talks about those who are spiritual to uh, be able to restore those who are tempted by sin. There's so many of us who, and all of us included, that we deal with sin on a constant basis. I mean, if you're not dealing with your own sin, um, you know, you're, you're probably not human. You're not being sanctified. And so all of us are dealing with sin, and, and all of us have the ability to speak truth and love to one another. And lastly, we have the authority to make judgments on false teaching. Jesus himself, again, warns in verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing and, and inwardly are ravenous wolves. Paul exhorts Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, to rebuke, to reprove, to exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and turn aside or wander off into myths. So yes, Jesus would agree that you can judge, but save your judging. Inspect yourself and make sure your motives are right before the Lord so you can clearly see the speck out of your brother's eyes. And I think what is helpful is that before you make judgments, ask yourselves questions. First of all, do I know the entire story? Is this, uh, is this something on social media? Is this something I need to do further research? Do I need to look at firsthand accounts versus secondary accounts or blog posts? Do I need to look at firsthand accounts? Do I know the entire story? Have I talked to people on both sides or all sides of the issue? Have you inspected yourselves of any wrong emotions? Have you inspected yourself in which your emotions have gotten the best of you and has affected your thinking? What is driving your assumptions? Is it a clear case of sin or no sin, or is it a matter of preference? And simply, I think probably the kicker is this. Whenever we're dealing with discernment, we've got to ask ourselves, God, am I, could I be wrong? What if I am wrong? And so you want to ask yourself this because I think it really reminds us and gives us a heart check and making sure that we are not judging without grace. Judging without grace is judgmentalism. And so ask yourselves this. Are you generous in judging? We tend to to major on the judging, but yet we minor on the grace. And as I was thinking about this, I think one of the, the stories that stands out in my head is Dan Cathy, who is the son of Truett Cathy from Chick-fil-A, which we were just talking about. Um, I mean, there's something to love about their, their spicy chicken sandwiches, but how much more it is to love the people behind uh, the establishment. And um, I remember back in 2013, Shane Winmeyer, you may remember him, but he's a recognized LGBTQ leader in higher education, and he actually wrote an article. But it wasn't a flaming hot article. It was an article praising Dan Cathy entitled, My Coming Out as a Friend of Dan Cathy in Chick-fil-A. He had just pushed, um, or Shane had just pushed this national campaign against Chick-fil-A. You probably remembered it in which millions of people, or he, he was going against the fact that millions had been contributed to political groups that have um, uh, opposed homosexuality. And he was deeply angry at Dan, and he saw him as the enemy. In his own words, he said that his preconceptions, as it turned out, was flawed. How? Well, in the heat of national controversy, Dan gave him a surprise call. 
And then that led to more calls and more text. And that led to face-to-face conversations that led to questions and deeper conversations over several weeks that kind of led into just Dan uh, reaching out and just bringing some reps from Chick-fil-A just to be able to uh, come together and to hear Shane's concerns. And what he did was that he listened to Shane's concerns. He built trust. And this all culminated with, you might have seen the picture, Dan sharing a VIP box at the Chick-fil-A Bowl being Dan Cathy's personal guest. And this led him, them to seeing, this whole exchange led them to seeing that Chick-fil-A was wrongly being used on both sides or being used by both sides of this political debate around gay marriage to feel more hate. And so they decided to keep their private conversations private. Now, this didn't result in Shane becoming a Christian last time I've seen, but it did allow Dan one thing. It allowed Dan an opening to have a sincere opening and interest into his life. It gave Shane a look at Dan's uncompromising belief in Jesus Christ and his commitment to being a Christ follower. And in no way, he mentions that Dan made an apology for his genuine beliefs about marriage. But listen to what Shane said in this article. He said, Our mutual hope was to find common ground if possible and to build respect no matter what. We learned about each other as people with opposing views, not as opposing people. I think Dan majored a lot on grace, and yet he never majored, or he never wavered, and yet he never wavered on his convictions. And this kind of leads us to the counterbalance. Well, if Jesus says to save your judging until you judge yourself, what happens when you don't commit to the error of judgmentalism, but you can fall to the other extreme? And that is never making any judgment calls at all. Jesus warned against being a people pleaser and just accepting everything uncritically. And Jesus instead calls us for us to have clear discernment, especially in calling out what is good and what is bad. Verse 6. In Matthew chapter 7, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. You know, in our neighborhood, we meet dogs that you just simply want to take home. I mean, they're just so cute. (laughs) But back in the ancient world, you don't see that. Dogs were what we've seen uh, the other day. Uh, The other day, I was out with my four kids, and there was a stray, I think a pit bull terrier, whom at one point we had two police cars and uh, probably a good Samaritan that was chasing him down over and over around the block. And Caleb was like, I really want to just, I want to help him track it down. And I was like, no, we're going to let them do that. And, uh, but you know, that's similar to what dogs were viewed in. Dogs were unclean, they were filthy, they were scavengers, and they were wild and they ran loose in the streets to scavenge for food. Dogs were seen as all of those who were hostile then to Jesus in the kingdom. Pigs also serve as a picture of what is despised and unholy. Now, what is then, what is holy and pearls point to? Well, that points to one thing, and that's the gospel of the kingdom. And what is the message of the gospel of the kingdom? It will be, quite frankly, the most important thing you have ever heard in your life, if you've never heard of it, and the message in two sentences is that we were sinners, hostile to God and sinners and sin, deserving of his wrath and judgment, yet God, in his love, 2,000 years ago, 
sent down Jesus Christ, perfectly sinless as a man, yet fully God, to die on the cross for our sin and exchange our sin for his righteousness. Rising again three days later to redeem people back to his forever family for all those who put their flag in Jesus. This kingdom brings true and joy and fulfillment and peace for all those who trust in Christ. And we can all, many of us, can testify to that. And so if you're listening to this message today, I pray that God would just open your hearts, that you'd be able to receive that. However, when, especially, it might roll off um, your ears in a different way, and for others, they will completely uh, not only reject the gospel, but also ridicule it. They'll be like the pigs who cannot discern what is of value, and instead of delighting in it, they will destroy it. We're not talking about Wilbur and Charlotte's Web, you know, that cute pig that cried when his spider friend died. In Jesus' day, pigs, again, were so blind that they would trample underfoot anything uh, in their way, even killing little kids uh, as they ran wild in city streets. So imagine if a pig was given a pearl. They wouldn't value it. They would just trample it. In the same way, dogs, when, when, when not given what they wanted, would probably just turn and start attacking the giver. And Jesus' message seems to be clear. Be discerning. You can save your judging for a point. If you've generously given them the message and they insult and attack you persistently, shake off your feet and move on to the next town. So how do you know when to stop preaching the gospel and to shake off your dust, off your feet, and to move on? What if you have friends who is not a Christ follower and he's rejected you numerous times, more times than you can even care to count, that it even brings up animosity whenever you even, the mere mention of God or Jesus? Well, if you have a friend who's rejected the gospel, but without animosity, I want to encourage you to love them well. If you have a friend who have rejected the gospel with animosity, guess what? Love them well. <laughs> I've seen that many who do not, uh, who have rejected the gospel probably have had many experiences. I don't want to generalize, but a lot of them have emotional hangups with church. They've had bad experiences. And so as you do that, don't fight with them, but fight to just gain that credibility. Listen. It may mean that you may share the gospel through your hurting with them or through your crying with them. It may mean that you're sharing the gospel in more subtle ways, maybe sharing a, a mini-story that illustrates the reality of Christ in your life. But most of all, they need you there as a friend to that person. Don't give up on that person. If you can't preach Christ, show Christ. The Holy Spirit may use you in those situations, but keep on pray, praying. Keep on being faithful. No one is, who is breathing is disqualified from the power of the gospel of Jesus. Even in Jesus' day, we know he instructed his disciples to shake the dust off their feet and go on to the next town. And we also have a different view on being insulted and attacked. You know, the Bible says, 1 Peter, that if you are insulted and reviled for Jesus' sake, not for your own sake, but for Jesus' sake, count yourself as blessed. After all, if Christ was persecuted, how can we expect as Christ followers to get any better treatment? However, there are people who have formally rejected the gospel and want nothing to do with you, nothing to hear about the name of Jesus. Even Jesus did know he needed to shake the dust and move on. 
doesn't excuse you from not loving them when you have uh, a possibility to do so. Because the same sermon also tells us to love your enemies. Chapter 5, verse 43 to 47. There might be more spiritual war- things in, in play, maybe spiritual warfare that's blinding the eyes um, of them. And I mean, maybe ask some people at hope just to pray and just to fast and pray if needed. The point is, though, we're not to be gullible or naive. Be discerning. Ask for wisdom, as James calls us. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And it takes great courage to continue to press on, as well as it takes courage to move on in trusting those people, some of maybe your friends, to the hands of God. And I've seen that perhaps God has something in store, or maybe they will be more open at a certain time after which circumstances their life makes them cry out to him. So on the flip side, I, I also believe this, that not only God wants us to grow in discernment, um, of people to continue to move on from, but to discern who are the people to proclaim the gospel to. Um, and this is awesome during our prayer walk with the Mutons. This past week, the prayer was for God to lead us to anyone who is spiritually hungry or anybody who is, in a sense, physically hungry. And, um, and so we had these Chipotle meals that we, uh, that we ordered. And um, yet at the beginning, we were so so discouraged because we get, kept on getting these dead ends. And we went to the apartment that we thought uh, the Lord was leading us to, and that person completely declined us, and we were just flat out dejected. I mean, just completely like just deflated. And then the Lord uh, was so good. He led us downstairs, and we were able to bless somebody immediately afterwards. And this guy just seemed so open. And as he was talking, he was pointing to the fact, you know, in the season that he was just really struggling with some kind of lonely season in this life. And it became just something that we just really was able to press into. And, and we're just praying for this. And Josh, you know, I, it was awesome. He immediately followed up and asked him, hey, man, you're welcome to stop by and hang, um, you know, at our place for Thanksgiving. My wife's from New Orleans. She can cook. <laughs> and so he was just so encouraged by that. And so we're praying for more open conversations. We're praying for him to be able to, to, be able to open up, and maybe the Lord would um, allow him to receive this great gift of the gospel. And I love that. I think that the discernment of knowing when to keep preaching is probably more in our hearts now that there are more of us that fall under the category of like, we need discernment when to open our mouths to share the word of God. We need to know when to discern how to dial in the gospel, when to share our testimony, when to share this great story that's locked up in our hearts, but yet it's just boiling to go out to our friends and family and neighbors that don't know Christ. For us, it's not necessarily the challenge for many of us of shaking the dust out, but rather putting out the doormat of the gospel to welcome folks into our lives. I love Rosaria Butterfield, but she said that the gospel comes with a house key. And so um, just as we think about this passage and as the music and the prayer team comes forward, I want to encourage you and ask you to think about this one question. Who does God want you to throw out the doormat and to open up your lives to that person. Who is it in your life that the Lord is calling you right now at this moment to share the gospel to? Who are the people that God has sovereignly put in your life that is hungry and that God is just telling you to go for it? 
For some of us, we just need that courage. We just need some other hopeful, some other person, maybe to come with us, the courage to speak out. Maybe we just need to grow in boldness. Um, but I want to encourage you. I want to, I want to encourage you to, to see where the Lord is calling you. For some of us, maybe we're going through a heavy season in which we do. We've been trying and trying and trying for years and years, and maybe the Lord is calling us to continue to move forward. Maybe a close friend is walking in persistent sin. Maybe there is somebody who you are walking with that you earnestly need to walk beside with. And the call for you is save your judging, but make sure that you've not come into it without judging your own heart, inspecting your own heart, and, and, and taking the log out of your own eye first before you take out the sawdust and, and another brother and sister. By all means, judge with generosity and grace. Let's all stand and uh, want to encourage you um, as the prayer team comes forward and as we continue to worship uh, with God, we're going to have our prayer time. And we want to encourage you, if you are wrestling with anything at all, whether it's something that I mentioned in this message or just something you just really would love prayer for, we know that uh, the enemy loves to work in the darkness. He would love to work in the isolation of things. And um, he wants you to, to make you feel alone. But maybe today God is just calling you just to reach out and to ask for prayer. We want to invite guests and covenant members to come forward for prayer. We just ask that one man and one man uh, pray together or one woman pray with another woman um, or any other combination. And so uh, let me go ahead and pray for us as we continue to worship together. Father, thank you so much for your clear and present word. We just pray, God, that you would continue to challenge us, continue to open our hearts for Father, that you would inspect our hearts now of anything that might be a hindrance in our own personal testimony and walk. God, if we are struggling through an addiction, a part of brokenness, a sin struggle, God, that we would not be uh, so ashamed that we would fall to guilt and condemnation, but maybe, God, you are calling us out to ask for prayer, for ask for somebody to come alongside of us, for, of you, and, and to ask for prayer to ask that the Holy Spirit would help you to fight. Father, we know that the enemy would like to work in, in, in our loneliness to put us in isolation, but Father, I just pray that you would work now, that you convict us, God, in power. Father, I pray that if there's anyone who is struggling with uh, a, a broken marriage or an addiction or a, a struggle in their lives that they don't think they can break, Father, we pray that your spirit might come in and do a work in them that only you can do, that you would transform, that you would mold, that you would shape that, Lord, you would bring us and draw us near to you. God, we just worship you and praise you and ask, God, that you would be working in this time. And we pray, Father, that all things would be done for your glory and for your great name. In Jesus' name, amen. Please come forward.